So as you know, we've been walking through, kind of slow walking through the uh, book of uh, the 23rd Psalm. One of the most beloved texts in Scripture. You see it at weddings, you see it at funerals. It's one of those that give you comfort. And so as we've walked through this, I talked about it last week a little bit, but what you might not have known when you first read the 23rd Psalm, or even if you've read it a hundred times, is that David is taking us on a journey that a shepherd would lead his sheep. And so in verses 2 where he says, he leads me beside quiet waters and, and uh, uh, to lie down in green pastures. That's sort of the, the lowlands. And then when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's, he's taking us from the lowlands to the highlands. And then last week we talked about he prepares a place in the tablelands. He t- prepares a table, a tableland, a mesa before me. And, and so he's taking us to the highlands. And then we get to the last verse today. That, and we're going to be done with our series, but we get to the last verse, and it's about his goodness and mercy follow me. And sort of the notion is, we've been to the highlands, and now we're coming back, and we're going to be at the home ground again. It's like a year in the life of a shepherd and his sheep. And it, it is a beautiful sort of picture, and you have to remember that most scholars believe David wrote this while he's being pursued by his son Absalom, and Absalom wants to take over the throne. Okay, so the betrayal and all that is kind of remarkable if you think about it. But, but David launches this, this particular psalm with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's uber important to remember that this is the hinge of everything else. Because the Lord isn't just a shepherd or the shepherd. He's my shepherd. And unless you get, unless you have that part... The rest of the verses really don't matter to you. Because unless Jesus is going to shepherd us, we can't claim the promises that are listed in the following verses. And so it's really, really important. Now, I am an infomercial freak. I love them. Flex tape, uh, I've got some. In fact, the gutter out here that's leaking has flex tape on it. It doesn't work, but but I've got some. I bought it because I watched the infomercial. Uh, The clapper, who doesn't have a clapper? I don't. But anyway, uh, yeah, me either. Uh, I love OxyClean. See, I want to believe. I want to believe that I can track oil in on Miriam's carpet, and she'll never know because we have some OxyClean in the closet someplace, and I'm gonna, I want to believe. Uh, the Ginsu knives. I want to believe I can cut down a redwood tree with one of those knives. I want to believe it because I've seen it on television. You've seen those knives that cut through a penny. They can cut through anything. And so I want to believe. By the way, this next slide, I want to know who was the marketing genius. Chris, who was the marketing genius that thought this was smart? Dump dinners. I, I don't know. Uh, who thought that was a good idea? Not good. All right. Not good. It's bad marketing right there. It's horrible, isn't it? This is horrible, the worst ever. Okay. Anyway, if you ever watch an infomercial, what do they say toward the end of the commercial? But wait, there's more. And what they're saying is, oh, as good as the Ginsu knife is, or as good as the Flex Seal tape is, or as good as whatever we're talking about is, there's more. You can get more. Now, I bring it up for this reason. When, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, you have to buy in to get everything else. If, if the Lord isn't your shepherd, then he's not promising to lead you beside quiet waters. And he's not promising to cause you to lie down in green pastures. He is not your shepherd. 
And so unless the Lord is your shepherd, the rest of it doesn't make any sense. And the last part of this verse is really important because today we're going to talk about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And all of it was beautiful and all of it was great and we want it all. But wait, it's not yours unless he's your shepherd. And we live in a culture, it's becoming less and less Christian, but for, for years and years as a pastor, people would tell me, I would say, you know, are you, are you a follower of Jesus? Well, mama went to church. Well, mama going to church don't make you anything, you know, but that was the answer. My favorite, Cliff is in here, Cliff is a pastor. Cliff, my favorite one that I ever heard was, my uncle was a preacher. Are you a Christian? Well, my uncle was a preacher. Like, well, okay, well, my uncle was a bootlegger. That, you know, uh, what does that mean? It mean anything. And so, the message today doesn't make any difference to you if he's not your shepherd. Now, David uses this imagery, and we believe because when he was a young man, he was a shepherd, and so he kind of knew all this stuff, and he knew that you went from the lowlands through the valley to the highlands and back down again. He understood this, and he... he he uses, the Holy Spirit inspires him to use this imagery. I love this about the Bible because, and we're, we're doing a, a study in Revelation on, on Monday nights, and there's this imagery, and it's stuff that they knew. And Jesus would be teaching, and he would say, look at those guys who are sowing seeds. And everybody knew what that was like. Uh, look, consider this, consider the one who plants. Like, okay, well, we can consider that because we know what that feels like. David writes from the perspective of a shepherd and sheep. And sheep are used, that's the most common animal in Scripture. It's, it's mentioned, they, the sheep are mentioned about 200 times in Scripture, a little over. And the, the reason is, and really people are related to sheep or kind of analogized to sheep a lot of times because really sheep aren't great by themselves. They, they kind of don't make it very well by themselves. You know, dogs will get in a pack and cats can kind of make it on their own. Sheep aren't very good. And I found a story about this sheep. This is Shrek the sheep. His name is Shrek. Shrek was in New Zealand and he escaped the pen where he was in and he lived uh, autonomously for six years. And this is what happens when you don't shear a sheep. 60 pounds of wool on that sheep. They found him after six years um, and, and they said it was a pretty good outcome, honestly, because... Most of the time, they don't make it at all, and they actually found this one. Well, we can't protect ourselves. Sheep, we need somebody to protect us, and as big and as strong as we might think we are, we need, we need, we need the Lord. The, the second reason I think people are, are kind of analogized as sheep is because we need a shepherd. We're kind of built for relationship. Jesus put it this way. He said, my sheep... Listen to my voice. Only my sheep. Again, the Lord is my shepherd. I guess the word for the day, if we were on Sesame Street, the word for the day is my. My sheep hear my voice, he says. And I know them. And they know me. And not everybody is his sheep. That's the implication here. And not everybody hears his voice because if you're not his sheep, you don't hear his voice. And David would have known this, and Jesus would have known this, and a shepherd didn't really have to yell. They just sort of lifted their voice, and the sheep would come running. Because the sheep understood the shepherd was the one who was going to provide. So 
We're at the end of this beautiful, beautiful psalm. And at the very end, the last verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm not a runner, although I do have a couple of runners in my family. And from what I understand, if you're training for a marathon, by the way, um, I sort of used to consider myself an athlete. I, I, and, and now when I'm walking or, so, or out, and I, I want people to drive by and say, wow, look at that athlete. I'm pretty sure all they say is, oh, good for him. I, I think it's probably all I get anymore. But back in the day, you know, I used to do a little bit of stuff. And, and, but my girls run. A couple of my girls run. In fact, I think all of them have run something like uh, half marathons or, or stuff like that. And so if you're training for a marathon, what I understand is you really aren't supposed to run ever in your training over 20 miles. Now, a marathon, if you don't know, is 26.1 or 26.2. I don't remember now. 26.2, I think. Um, but they tell you not to go past 20. And they talk about it this way, that, that if, if you run um, more than that, it breaks down your body. So when you get, actually get to the marathon, you, there's about six miles at the end that you... It's called no man's land. You kind of don't know what to expect. And at mile 20, they talk about this. They talk about hitting a wall. And some runners will tell you the wall hits you. And there's this sort of no man's land idea out there. They also talk about a runner's high. Like if you run a lot, then you get this runner's high. I get that climbing one flight of steps. So I know what it feels like. But, um, but the, the idea of this, I'm going to enter a race and I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm gonna, I've only traded 20 miles, and I've got to go 26.2, that no man's land. Some of us sort of live there. Like, I'm getting older, and I'm thinking about, you know, someday, at, who knows? I mean, we could die anytime. Any of us can die anytime. We could die on the way out the parking lot. It just really, there's no guarantee in life. I had a heart attack when I was 40. Heart attacks kill people. I could have died at 40, so it's not like it just can't happen. But I, as you get older, you start to think about, okay, well, the end is nearer than it was yesterday, for all of us, by the way. And so, how do I know I'm ready? It's a great question. How do you know you're ready? Well, this verse tells us. You see the word surely? See, our shepherd has promised us. If we are his sheep, he promises us. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. That's a great word. It's not a word we use very often. But surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. We just heard this verse, but let's look at the rest of it. I know them, they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. That's powerful. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's like, like Jesus is saying, I've got them in one hand and God has them in the other hand. And there's no way anyone can take them away from us. Our sheep are secure. Now, it's a promise made by God to us, those of us who follow. We who have given our lives to Jesus. It's a matter of saying, Lord, forgive my sins and guide my life. And we don't ever, any of us do it perfectly. But it is a guarantee. And what you need to understand is a promise is only as good as the one making the promise. Now, you may have heard this story. There's a guy by the name of Robert Smith. He gave the um, commencement speech at Morehouse College last May. Morehouse College is a predominantly black school. Mr. Smith is a billionaire. And in his commencement speech, he announces that he is going to 
to pay for the remaining balance of every graduate's uh, school debt. Now, this was the reaction. <laughs> yeah, woo! Um, yeah, uh, we've invited him here to speak uh, some Sunday because we think that would be great. Um, We got a little dead. I'm going to talk about it a little later, back in the at the end. But um, now that amounted to about forty million dollars. Now, for you and me, now listen. If I that 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 amounted to one percent of his net worth, one <laughs> percent. If I went to Morehouse College and had the commencement speech and promised to pay one percent of my net worth, everybody could get one chicken nugget. You know, it's kind of like you have to realize the promise that he made was good because he could back up the promise. A billionaire can pay $40 million and not feel it so much. You and me, we can't do that. Most of us, anyway, can't do that. A promise is only as good as the one making the promise. And so when God says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, you can take it to the bank because he has the resources to fulfill the promise. He can do what he said he's going to do. See, I love this psalm because it's, it's not just a psalm of, of comfort, which it is that, but it's also a psalm of confidence. Surely, goodness and mercy. I mean, it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. It is signed, sealed, and delivered. And we see texts like this in Scripture. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And He will deliver us from it. I mean, we know this. It's confident. A couple more. Paul said, uh, I know the one who I have trusted, and I'm sure that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the end day, until the day of his return. And John said, I write these things that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Surely, goodness and mercy. We, we can know we're going to be okay at the end because our shepherd promised Again, let me go back to my original thought here. As long as he's your shepherd, not, not just some cultural thing, not just I go to church, I follow. I follow his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So number one, the reason we can know that when we get to no man's land, when we don't know what's next, we can know that we're saved, we can know that we have eternal life because he's promised us. The second thing is this. He Helps us. He keeps us on track. Surely goodness and mercy keep us on track. Even in the Old Testament times. Today we see this on television some. You have sheep dogs. And even in Old Testament times, there would be a shepherd. But oftentimes they utilized dogs to help them. So the shepherd would be out front of the flock. And the dogs would be in the rear. And they would kind of be helping the sheep navigate where they're supposed to go. Now the word follow, when it says surely goodness and mercy shall... Follow me. We, we think about that like a little kid following a, a parent. But it really isn't that word. The, the word is surely goodness. It could have been translated, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. Like, is after me. Because sheepdogs, they bark and they nip and they, they, they keep you in line. It's not just some passive little thing that happens. They are aggressive in their pursuit. The, the word... In, in the Hebrew, literally means one who hunts. They're, they're after somebody. When I was in college, 
This is going to come as a shock because you know preachers. Uh, we, we were always good. But in college, there was, a, there was a little bit of time where I might have been a little rambunctious. That's the word I'm going to use. And we like to play pranks on other people. Can't do it anymore because of all the cameras. I, I hate today. I hate it for kids today uh, because, I mean, you go get caught doing anything today. But back in the day when, you know, nobody had a camera, um, uh, the Stone Ages, you know, we had dorms. And in our dorms, if you, if you took pennies, you could jam them between the door and the door frame so that the person in the room couldn't get out. I know it's dangerous. Uh, sure, you could die doing that. But uh, uh, it was fun. And um, it was fun for the person doing the pennying. If you're the penny E, not so much fun. Because if you've ever been in a room and you try to get out and you can't, really not much fun, especially if you're on the second floor. All right, so one night, my buddies and I decided that we were going to penny in the whole dorm. I mean, if you're going to go big, you know, if you're going to go, go big. We decided we we're going to go big. This is how incredibly stupid my friends were. I went along with it, but I didn't think of it. We put stocking masks on in case somebody came out of their room. But we had it all figured out. Third floor, you work from the middle out. Because you don't want to work in because if somebody opens a door. And that's the whole point. If somebody opened a door, what were we going to do? We were going to run like our life depended on it. Because this wasn't the first thing I had done in college. I had a little bit of a reputation at the president's office. And they kind of knew who I was. And if I got caught doing this, there's a, probably a chance they might have kicked me out. So, um, by the way, I checked statute of limitations and they can't do anything to me now. So I'm good. But we started pinning our, this dorm in. I mean, you talk about the, at 4 o'clock in the morning. We made sure, or 3, I can't remember, it was really early. And so we got up and we were doing this stupid thing. And we were on the last floor, and I started to put some pennies in this guy's door, and he opened the door. And there he was. And here I was with my stocking over my face, so he couldn't tell who I was. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I had it at that point. Now, this is where that ver the pursue comes in. Because I could, I could feel him behind me. I'm running down the hall, you know, I'm running. I can feel him back here. Now... It was not going to turn out good for me if I got caught. Expulsion, <laughs> you lose the money you paid for the semester. I was one semester away from graduating, that was gone, you know. It was like really, really, really dumb. By the way, uh, that, I had already committed to be in ministry. So I was doing this, I mean, just really, it was going to be a preacher, but not yet. I mean, it wasn't official. And so um, um, I had been licensed but not ordained. And so uh, really, it wasn't even official at that point. So I'm running... I'm running like my life depends on it. And that's the idea around this word. That, that goodness and mercy, not something negative, not because you've done something bad, but goodness and mercy are, are with us. They're pursuing us. They're pushing us. I like that thought. It's pushing us to do goodness and mercy to others. God, God is... He is aggressively good to us. He is aggressively merciful to us. The word goodness means He supplies our needs. He is aggressively supplying our needs. He is merciful to blot out our sins. He is merciful to take care of us. He is good to us. He is merciful to us. And He is pursuing 
these things on us. He's got the dogs of goodness and mercy, and he has said, sick them. And they're on us, and they pursue us, and they push us. And in this whole chapter, we've seen that he provides for us. Uh, I shall not want. Uh, He restores our soul. Uh, He guides me in paths of righteousness. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Over and over and over in this text, he talks about how God, his goodness and his mercy are after us. And even in difficult times. See, we think this means, okay, then it's always going to be good for me. I'm going to never have pain. I'm going to always have prosperity. I'm going to always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No bad things are going to happen in my life. And that is simply never a guarantee in Scripture. That doesn't mean goodness and mercy aren't aren't on on our back. It just means they're there to help us through these difficult times. I'm going to show you a picture. This is a poet by the name of Christian Willman. I'm not a big poet, poetry fan, but Mr. Willman was diagnosed with an incurable cancer at 39 years old. And he had sort of been a Christian, but kind of drifted a little bit from the faith. And, and this is what he writes about his illness and then his coming back to Christ. About his illness, he says... I have had bones die and bowels fail, joints lock in my face and arms and legs so that I could not eat or could not walk. I've passed through pain I could never have even imagined. Pain that seemed so incredible that it incinerated all my thoughts of God and it left me sitting there in ashes all alone. And then he writes this. I'm a Christian because of that moment on the cross. When Jesus Christ cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The point for me was, God is with us, not beyond us in our suffering. I'm a Christian in the face of brutal, isolating pain because we don't really want answers. We want a person. At such a time, we simply want no substitute but Christ. Surely goodness and mercy are following you even in difficult times. Let me, let me ask you this. We're going to take a little quick survey. When you were a kid and you got sick, who would you rather take care of you? How many people vote for their dad? One. Okay, one. How many? You're an outlier. Uh, how many people vote for their moms? How many dads vote for their wives? Yes, all of us. So none of, no dad wants to take care of it. We wanted the person who was most comforting to be with us. And in most cases, that's our mother. Man, when I get sick today, I want my wife around. She's good at it. She's great at it. She's comforting. I need her. Well, so this text is telling us goodness and mercy. The Lord is with us. He is the comforter. He came to comfort us. He's with us in our difficult times. In fact, that's why he came. Look at what it says about Jesus. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Surely goodness is with us. The word mercy is interesting. It's the Hebrew word has said. It's translated in English loving kindness often. Uh, there's really not a great equivalent uh, in the English language for this particular word. 
the idea is to incline oneself or to bend down. And in my mind, I get the picture. It kind of helps me to picture something. The hesed, the, the, the mercy, is when a grandparent uh, bends to be with a grandchild. To, when they uh, need to be near, and so they get down so they can be on the child's level. That's what it feels like to me. And so there's this idea that God's goodness and His mercy, it pursues us. And then look at this verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Have you ever met anybody abounding in love? Because I have. My Aunt Blanche, who died a couple years ago. There's nobody that Blanche didn't love. She was amazing. People wanted to be around her just because she was so loving. In fact, when she died, this was so cute. When she died, now she has four daughters. Um, <laughs> the pastor said Blanche had four daughters and nine sons-in-law. Which, that's us. You know, that's my family. And... And, she, and he said, and this was true, he said, and, and she loved every one of them. These men couldn't get along with her daughters, but they could sure get along with her because she loved everybody. She saw good in people. She, she was abounding in love. Which brings me to another point about surely goodness and mercy will follow us. I want to look at it from just a different angle, just for a second. If you ride in a boat... There's something that happens behind the boat. Does anybody know what that's called? The wake. All right, right. So, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It will be in my wake. Because God has been good to me, then I should be good to others. Because I have surely goodness and mercy. Because goodness and mercy come my way, then goodness and mercy should also be something that I leave behind. This is really interesting to me and something you probably didn't expect to hear today at church. But from what I understand from shepherds, sheep are really good at fertilizing the fields they've been in. Are you tracking? Everybody tracking? Fertilizing, you know what I'm talking about? Don't make me say it. I'm going to assume you know. Okay. Evidently, if a shepherd is great with his sheep, he leads them to... Remember, we talked about this. They, they eat low, and they go high. They eat low, and they go high. Well, so when they eat low, this grass is super abundant in nutrients. And then they walk up the hill, and they make deposits which fertilizes the upper parts. And sheep are actually, Keller, uh, Philip Keller writes this, when sheep are well cared for and the shepherd is attentive to managing their grazing habits, they are actually among the most beneficial of animals. I'll end the illustration there. God gives us life and restoration, goodness and mercy. He gives it to us, but not just for us. And so, surely goodness and mercy, they're pushing us on, but it's also something that should be a residual of who we are. And so, because we've been forgiven, we should be forgiving. Because God is gracious to us, we should be gracious to others. Because God is good to us, we should be good to others. Because God shows us mercy, we should what? Show mercy. See, if you're a body of water and you only take in, but you never put out then that is stagnant, and it's a breeding ground for insects and mosquitoes. And remember that, that this psalm says, 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. In Isaiah, they put it this way. Isaiah said, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that God, the God of Israel, He reigns. There is something about when we receive God's blessing, we should share God's blessing. Something about that. Uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson said, The good that men do lives after them. That's the kind of legacy we're looking for. And then we're going to finish up, okay? We're going to finish up. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, happily ever after is real. Did you know that The Little Mermaid was based on a story by Hans Christian Andersen? Did you know that? I didn't really know that. I've never watched the movie. You don't care about the movie. But anyway, evidently what happens in this story is The Little Mermaid, in the Disney adaptation, she gets the prince at the end, but not in the original story. In the original story, she has to make a noble gesture and give up her love to someone else. Well, we don't like that as Americans, and so we, will, we like happily ever after. And when you look at the 23rd Psalm 6th verse, you sort of think, okay, well, is this happily ever after? Is it just something made up? Well, this is real. And to dwell in a place, it's true. See, think about the situation. Again, when you're reading Scripture, you have to remember the situation. When was it written? How was it written? David's son Absalom has run him out of, the, of Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. He has run him out of town. That's where his, that's where his you know, throne was. He's run David out of town. So now David can't go to the temple to worship. And so he writes these words. Even though he's been deposed, there's been a coup, his son has taken over, he's ousted him, he's far away from Jerusalem, he's running for his life, yet he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, and I will dwell. I'll get to go back. See, the Jewish people loved to come to church. They loved it. They loved to go to synagogue. In fact, if you lived far away, you would try to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, at least once a year, because it was like... Like the best thing ever. It was part of who they were. And they would write these psalms. They're called Psalms of Ascent. I'm going to go to the temple. In the 84th Psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. To dwell was... To, to visit was great, to dwell there was the best. And so when David writes, and I will dwell, he's saying, I get to be there forever. And you have a place like this probably in your life. There's a place that you go to and your spirit soars. It could be the ocean. I, I've heard some of you say, I can't, I, I, just, I can't wait to go back to the ocean. I love the ocean. And, and there's, there's a magnitude about the ocean that just does scream there is a God uh, some of us like to go to the mountains and we go to the mountains and and if you've ever been out west to the Rocky Mountains or in like to the Alps and there is a majesty about the mountains we lived in the southwest and and it's sort of flat and dry and nothing and there's a majesty about that too it's interesting how <laughs> you can find God places for me, you know, this place that, this dwelling place for me, when I go back home to Kentucky, I feel it. And you probably have a place. There's a place 
where your spirit soars. And for David, he was saying, this is the place my spirit, this is the place my spirit soars. When I go to the house of the Lord and I get to be in the presence of God forever and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the best thing he could think of was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It matters where you go. We're all destined to pass someday. It's going to happen. It matters where you go. Peter Marshall is a famous pastor and he told a story about a little boy in his church. A little boy named Kenneth. Kenneth was diagnosed with a terminal illness and he kept getting weaker and weaker. And he overheard the doctors talking about how he wasn't going to make it. And he kind of understood it a little bit. He was a little boy, but he kind of understood. And so one night he was kind of weak and he said to his mom, Mom, what's it like? What's it like to die? Now, as a parent, you can imagine she's trying to think through, how do I answer this question? And so she... She says she wipes away her tears and she breathes a little prayer and God gives us wisdom sometimes in times like this and I'm glad he does. And she t- said to little Kenneth, she said, listen, do you remember when you used to play and you'd play really hard during the day and you'd come home and, and you'd come in and, and you'd fall asleep on the couch? And he said, yeah. And she just said, okay. The couch isn't your bed. It's not where you belong, but it's just where you fell asleep. But when you'd wake up in the morning, you'd find yourself in your bed. And she said, you want to know how you got there? Your daddy, he was strong. He picked you up from where you didn't belong. And he put you where you do belong. She said, that's what it's like when you die. You go from where you don't belong to where you do belong. And our strong Heavenly Father is the one that carries you there. Jesus put it this way. He's our good shepherd and he said, do not be worried and upset. He was talking to his disciples. It was just before he was crucified. Believe in God and also believe in me. But there are many rooms in my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it weren't so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to myself so that you will be where I am. The question isn't what happens. The question isn't, am I going to die? The question is, what happens when I die? And how do I know where I'm going? And it's the most important question you'll ever answer. And we begin a journey with Jesus. I began a journey with Jesus when I was seven. We begin a journey with Jesus when we're, you don't have to be seven, you can be 27, you can be 77, you can be 97. For me, it was seven. I began a journey with Jesus when I was seven. And in Scripture, it says, God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The question we're going to end with is this. Are you certain that you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because you can be certain. When we ask Christ into our hearts, when we ask him to guide our lives, when we make him our shepherd, and again, he has to be my shepherd, for these promises to be true. But because he is my shepherd, these promises are true to me. And if he's your shepherd, they're, they're true to you too. And if he's not your shepherd, he can be and wants to be. We're going to pray and we're going to take up an offering. And after the service is over with, um, 
if you need to talk to me about that, I'm going to be right here and I'm going to chat with you. Dwayne's around. He can talk to you about that. And so I just want you to know we're, we're around and we'd love to visit with you if, you if you're not sure. We'd like to help you be sure. Okay? Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us and we thank you for this word and we pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to be attentive to your voice. Help us to, if we haven't before, make you our shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.